Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy, and welcome, welcome to Last First Date Radio, the place to be for creating healthy, lasting relationships in midlife. And today, I'm really excited to be speaking with sex and intimacy expert, Janae Paylet, about how to awaken sexuality and create more intimacy at any stage of life. But before I bring her on, I just wanted to say a little bit about my work, that I've been doing this love and women's empowerment work for about 11 years now. And it really makes me so happy to help women over 40 enter into the best relationships they've ever had. Often, it's, it really is the first time they've fallen in love at age 50, 60, 70, and beyond. So I want you to know that this is possible for anyone. And today, we're going to be exploring the, the secrets to having a great sex life on top of having a great relationship. And they're both very intertwined. And in my, in my whole school of thought, Um, really the secret to finding love is finding your own value first. And knowing your needs, knowing your value, being able to express all of that with grace as a woman of value. And um, I am growing this movement and I'm about to launch a new website soon called The Woman of Value. And I will be working with women both in love, but also in work and in life. And I'm really excited to help more women speak up, show up, stand up in their value and let people know that valuing yourself is not negotiable. It's absolutely not negotiable. Every week I bring you a tip on how to be a woman of value. And this week's tip is don't be a people pleaser. This is one of my favorites because I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, Why don't we want to be people pleasing? I I see it so much. In fact, I dated a guy once who on like my second date with him, he was cooking a full, you know, four course meal for me. And I told him I really liked the, the chicken, the way he prepared it. And he went to the butcher and bought me some. And I mean, it was it was beautiful and it was too much. It made me uncomfortable because we barely knew each other. So we have to be careful about who we, who we give to, how much we give. People really need to earn their way into our lives, I believe. I mean, you can be very loving and giving. But if you're doing it to win people over, then you're often giving up bits of yourself to please somebody else. And again, that ties back to my whole belief in being a woman of value, loving and valuing yourself and your own needs and making sure that when you're making somebody else happy, it's not, the cost isn't that you're giving up something really important to yourself. All right, so let's let that sink in for a minute. And um, before I bring on my special guest, I just want to invite you to join my private Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And if you're not yet a member, this is one of the most amazing groups. Uh, they, these women, and we have about 2,600, 2,700 women in there, 
very heavily monitored, so the conversation never goes off the rails. We have women really asking high-value questions, not low-value questions, like, why do men do this? Um, I really am very careful about helping women be positive and grow in their search for lasting love. So join us at your last first date. All right, my special guest, Janae, is a former New York City healthcare lawyer. She lived in a sexless marriage for over 20 years. She experienced her own sexual healing and awakening in 2011, and she then transitioned her career to full-time sex and intimacy educator and coach. She now works with individuals and couples to empower them around their sexuality and strengthen relationship and intimacy skills. She is a certified somatic sex and intimacy coach, sexological body worker, holistic pelvic care practitioner, tantra educator, and somatic experiencing traumatic trauma practitioner. There's a lot of words there. She's on the faculty of the Ecstatic Living Institute and the Somatica Institute. Welcome to the show, Janae. Thank you, Sandy. I am so happy to be here. I'm excited to have you, and I I love that you went down your own path and then became that, became that and paid it forward to other people to help them. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you transitioned from lawyer to sex and intimacy coach? Yeah, for sure. It was not my intention. <laughs> um, it was it, it, it was not it was not in the it was never on the vision board. I can tell you that. Um, it, it, it was really you know it, it was a personal journey because um, I was in a marriage with a wonderful man, loving husband, um, but it was a sexless marriage, and um, it was a sexless marriage. I mean, I had two children, so it wasn't completely sexless, but basically after my (laughs) second child was born, (laughs) when I was young, I was still like 28 when I had my second child, um, I I basically, you know, closed up shop. And I closed up shop because sex had always been very painful for me. This had been an issue since the first time I had sex when I was 16, and it never got any better. And I was very disconnected from my sexuality. Pretty much anything having to do with sex or female reproduction or the female body parts were problematic for me. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it was just, it was a hassle and we ended up getting in fights and I just, we decided it just wasn't worth it. We don't, we didn't actually make that conscious decision, but as what happens, which is not uncommon, is you start to stop having sex and then you stop having cuddles and then you stop kissing each other and we ended up sleeping in separate beds for almost 12 years um, while we were living uh, in New York City and raising our kids so um, when I finally when we finally decided to separate amicably I was 49 I think I just was just turning 50 And I kind of, it's kind of like what you said, I I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, okay, well, I want to have another relationship, but what, what is this OkCupid ad going to say? Like, awesome woman, really loving, really kind, but hate sex, you know, like that wasn't going to (laughs) work. Um, So I realized that I just had to really look inside myself and I had to deal with my own 
sexual issues. And that's what I did. I, I kind of took a deep dive into it. I happened to meet a man in New York. This is actually how my book starts, who had been practicing some Tantra and had done a workshop. And um, he's the one who introduced me to this practice, which was completely different than any type of I had ever had before or sexual experience I had ever had before. And I realized like, oh, this is my doorway into my sexual healing. This will allow me to to settle, to relax, to look at sexuality from a completely different um, perspective. And that was really what happened. And then I ended up moving, leaving New York and moving to the West Coast. And I took a huge deep dive into sexuality and, you know, in, in a period of like 18 months, which was ridiculously fast, I took all of these very intensive training programs, components of which were actually like doing work on each other because it was very hands-on work. Um, and that allowed me to really both awaken my sexuality and heal so much of my um, pain and my fear and my shame and all of the things that really came together to prevent me from, from enjoying my sex life. Mm, wow. Um, I love your okay Cupid profile. Awesome woman doesn't like sex. <laughs> um, but the part of the book that I really loved when you described the, um, the man that you met is that this was actually new for him. You had been dating him for a while and suddenly he comes back from this workshop and he wants to treat you like a goddess and it was your night and it was just like, okay, all righty then. Wow. And like amazing, amazing. Like who wouldn't want to be treated like a goddess and have it all be about her pleasure for a change, right? Right, right. Yeah, it was a, it's a, it was a very different experience because well, I think my husband did try to pleasure me. He worked really hard at trying to pleasure me. There was, there was a piece here around not having expectations, right? Like most of the time women are concerned about, or you're concerned about like, oh, am I going to have an orgasm? Am I going to do it right? Am I taking too long? Like all of those issues that just hold us back from really being in our bodies. And on this night, it was just like, whatever you want, right? Like, I don't mm. care what happens. We just get to be like present with each other um, in the moment. And, and that was an amazing and very, very different experience for me. Mm. He never even took his imagine. pants off, right? So it really was no pressure. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, the expectation piece is so, so huge. No matter, you know, no matter if it's, about sex or if it's about the dating part, like having expectations about what your date's going to be like and, and are they going to disappoint you? And I think people, <laughs> people really are, are setting themselves up for disappointment consistently. And I think it was Henry Winkler who says um, assumptions, was it? Or assumptions are the termites of relationships. I think that was oh, something like that. that. Yeah, I think that we we make assumptions, we have expectations, and it all starts when we're very young. So let's go there and talk about mm-hmm. uh, the blueprint that gets created when we're children um, about sexuality. Is I when in my work I talk about our family blueprint, 
and the the marriage that we experienced that our parents had or didn't have and how it affects our love life. But you talk about a sexual blueprint. So talk about mm-hmm. what that is and how it, how it impacts us as adults. Yeah. So, so um, a sexual blueprint is really consists of all of the messages that we received around sex as children. That's one component of it from your parents, from other family members, from cultural institutions, from religious institutions. It also consists of early childhood sexual explorations that we have, including like early self-childhood explorations, like the first time you touched yourself. Um, And particularly if something negative happened around that, if you were shamed around that. We also look at... um, later childhood sexual experiences, right? Like the first time you had sex and what that was like and um, how sex was modeled in your household. Like did your parents kiss in front of you? Did they let you crawl into their bed? Did you have any sense that there was anything sexual going on? And the sexual blueprint, what we find when we look at a sexual blueprint is it's just laden with these, for most people, laden with negative image, negative messages and experience and shame around our sexuality. And that is what we take into our adult sexual relationships, right? So mm-hmm. can I give you an example of, of, some, of, of an experience that um, – I had with one of my clients. Um, sure. So she, yeah, so she was, she grew up in, um, I think it was in Iran, and um, which is a very sexually closed um, culture. And her mother was constantly telling her negative things about sex. And one day they were driving in a car and she saw next to her, she was about 10 or 11 years old, this woman and man on a motorcycle. And the woman was like holding this guy's waist and her hair was flying. And, you know, it's sort of that like stereotypical picture that you see. And she said Mm -hmm. something like, Oh God, I want to do something like that. And out of the blue, her mother slapped her on her face and said to her, if you do that, you're going to be a slut, just like her. She's a Mm -hmm. slut. Right. And all she was doing was riding on a motorcycle. And so whenever, right, and so whenever she was touched and started to feel some sort of aliveness in her body, she completely shut down because she told me as I was, as I was actually touching her arm and doing some touch with her that she, she heard the voice of her mother telling her that she's a Mm -hmm. slut, right, that, Mm -hmm. that associating pleasure with being a slut and being shamed, that's a perfect yeah. example. Yeah, it's a powerful example. And I'm sure that our listeners can all think of something from their past, whether it's from childhood or, as you say, cultural and religious institutions, what we see, little things that happen to us. I mean, even I had an experience when I was probably, I don't know, eight years old, seven. And mm-hmm. I had an uncle who was really strange. And he took my brother and I to Coney Island, you know, New York. And mm-hmm. um, he took us for the day and my parents said be back by a certain time and he didn't take us back by that time. 
All I remember is he was giving me undue attention and ignoring my brother. And anything I wanted, he would buy me, and he had me on his lap, and he was kissing me a lot. And it wasn't mm-hmm. sexual, but it was it was uncomfortable. Yeah. And a lot of lap stuff. <laughs> now I, when yeah. I think back, and I know, like, that stuck with me. You know, it really stuck with yeah. me. And I think nobody... Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. But he was a very strange, very strange person. He remained single for most of his life, and he's just a troubled person. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, people have experiences that were uncomfortable that or that Mm -hmm. made them feel some sense of shame and they couldn't tell anybody, uh, these are all really important pieces of our blueprint. And so how how do we take the blueprint and then switch it to something positive and, and work through any kind of limiting beliefs in our adulthood. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing to do and it, it always is to try to normalize it, right? So we try to normalize the shame. We try to normalize the discomfort that we felt. Um, one of the ways in which one of the exercises that I really like to uh, work on with um, my clients is having a, I call it a shame over or a shame-a-thon, <laughs> which is basically mm. really looking at, you know, an experience for you that was, you felt a lot of discomfort and shame around and share it with somebody, whether it's a partner or a friend. And what we end up finding is that we're not alone because this is the thing about shame shame is so insidious that we even have shame to talk about our shame right and when we start talking about it we realize like oh wow okay there's other people that had similar experiences like me okay Mm. I'm not weird right I'm not alone and, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it happened, right? It's life. It happened. We all have shame. And it's okay just to acknowledge that, you know, we have shame and express it. And that actually is a really powerful experience. And, you know, other things that I like to do is to help, for, especially for women, is to help women, like, really connect with their their sexual parts, right? Really like just having a conversation with your body about like, Hey, you know, how are you mm-hmm. feeling around mm-hmm. sex today? Like vagina, like really having my called Yoni in my book, which is the Sanskrit or Tantra work, work, um, name, but like, you know, really like how, how have I, how are you feeling about sex? How are you feeling about I, the way in which I've been treating you? Like just starting to connect more with ourselves helps to, start to change the sexual blueprint, but it's really about normalizing, right? We can, mm-hmm. When we normalize shame, then we're like, okay, we're not the only one that has this. I can move on now. I can realize it's a limiting belief and also to understand, as you said, that, you know, these beliefs that we have are not our own beliefs, right? We are born to be pleasure-seeking creatures, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. that's true yeah right baby it is true coo, right i just spent a I spent a week with my new grandbaby like all he does is either coo when he's breastfeeding or sleep or poop right that's all they do but mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this built-in pleasure and you know and real coming back to that realization that we're built for pleasure and the shame is being imposed upon us by outside forces 
allows us to start to undo some of those messages and experiences. Mm. Yeah, I always say that your kids are as normal as the work that you've done. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like we really have to work on our own shame if we're going to be raising children. And Mm -hmm. the messages that we convey are so powerful. Like they watch everything we do as parents. And I I just remember so so many times when I was raising my children when they were young and just thinking like, I want to do this differently than the way I was raised. I want to raise my kids with more awareness. I want to not shame them for the things that they do. I want you know, and just have open conversations, you know. And I even yeah. to the point where, when my daughter was about sixteen, um, so she's now thirty, and she asked me some very intimate questions about my sex life with my husband at the time, and that was a boundary I didn't want to cross with her. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, because she had been sharing with me. So I'm curious what you think about that. She shared with me what, you know, her exploration was and where she was in her path. And so she she wanted to know about my sex life. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go there. It's not something you're going to want to really know. You can't unsee mm-hmm. it or unhear it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. Do you have a different feeling about that? Um, yeah, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. You know, I think, you know, some kids really, some children, like, really want to know and want to have information um, because maybe it helps them sort out, like, what, they're, what they want in a partner. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that can be very helpful and um, and for some, there is this, like, icky factor <laughs> about, like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm having that with my children who are reading the book right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, oh, Mom, yeah. there's, there's certain, right, there's certain chapters we just can't read. And I'm like, that's okay, you know. So right. um, it, it's, an, it's, an, it's an interesting line to walk. And I have two boys. So I don't have any girls. I think if I had mm-hmm. a girl, I would probably have more open conversations um, mm-hmm. with with them if they if they wanted to have. I mean, I'd have it with either of them, you know, boys or mm-hmm. girls. But yeah, I think that's an interesting it's it's an interesting issue. And you know, I, I was just um, I was down in Nashville and did a little gathering of women. Uh, who grew up mostly Southern Christian, right? And so, like, this mm-hmm. is so foreign to them. And also, they were just, like, soaking it in. And this woman said mm-hmm. to me, one of them who's struggling in her sex life, said, you know, I had so much shame growing up, and I don't want to impose that on my children. What can I mm-hmm. do? When do I start talking with him? He's three years old now. Um, and so we talked a little bit about that. Uh, but, you know, my, my response was like, are, what are you modeling? Does your right. son see that you kiss, that you hold hands? Mm-hmm. Because you can tell them whatever you want, but it's not what you tell them. It's what they see. That's how they actually take the information in, right? I, yes, so, I so agree with you. I think that's true about yeah. everything. Like we, we, yeah. what, we, what we do is so much more important than what we say. Um, yeah, yeah sure. but I think it's it's like a boundary, and everybody's got different boundaries. And to oh. me, it was important that they felt comfortable telling me whatever they wanted, but to know yeah. that I wasn't going to share the details of my sex life with their father because it felt like a boundary crossing. 
And yeah. it's hard for her to understand that. But it, but now we're totally, I mean, they're all adults. So it's it's easier to have the conversations like I've been having with my son and how I want him to be talking to women and, and experiencing women um, in, a, in a very open and, you know, honoring and uh, beautiful way. So let, let's, mm. let's talk about, um, hmm, there's so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's so much that happens also after 40 and 50 and 60 when women get back out there, especially after a long marriage. Um, so, so let, let's talk about that for a minute, because um, a lot of times women are experiencing um, not only their own issues around menopause, and you do talk about that in the book, and how libido can change, um, but also men are experiencing erectile dysfunction, um, all kinds of other issues. So how, how would you suggest that people talk about these things when they're dating? Honestly, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I practice myself like just honest, vulnerable, authentic conversations about sex and what you, what you like and what you don't like and what issues that you've had. Like I always tell partners, um, you know, I've had issues with sex penetration being painful sometimes, you know, sometimes I still have issues with it. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have lots of tools that I know how to deal with it, but, you know, just know, like there are things that we need to do. We need to go slow. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important for, for us to be able to, um, to communicate what's going on in our sex life what we like, what we don't like, what we might be struggling with. And also just to say, like, let's not have any expectations. You know, I I like to talk about redefining sex as, you know, anything that creates erotic connection. It could be just sitting and looking at your partner and connecting Mm -hmm. with them. And as far as I'm concerned, that's, you know, if there's eroticism there, then, you know, there's a sexual connection and that's a sexual relationship. So I think it's really important to be honest about, you know, what's going on for you, but also not to be beholden to your past experiences because erectile dysfunction in particular, in particular, even in older men, so much of it is not physiological. Unless you Mm -hmm. really have low testosterone, it's psychological and it's emotional. And it's them feeling disempowered from their sexuality because of the way in which they were hurt or wounded or being sexually Mm -hmm. shut down. And so I noticed with both men and women, when they're really like in a good space with a partner and there's a lot of charge, boy, their libido comes rushing back. Right. Like mm-hmm. people, women tell me this all the time, like, oh, my God, I, I all of a sudden I have this huge sex drive. <laughs> and mm-hmm. do the same thing as well. So, you know, I think it's like don't just assume because that's the way it was in the past, that that's the way it's going to be in the future. I don't believe that at all. And I think yeah. there are definitely things that we can do to help, you know, change um, our patterns and change the way our body is responding as well. Mm. All right, so so share some of those tips to have a better sex life. What are some things people can do? 
down, just slow everything down. Whatever you're doing, do it a lot slower. <laughs> whether it's touch, whether it's foreplay, like just give yourself more time to really connect and be present with each other. Um, and that mm-hmm. changes a lot for people because often we rush into sex. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes like hot sex is really quick and fast. But I think especially as we age, we need more time. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important tips that I can give um, your listeners is to touch your partner for your own pleasure. This is a really Mm -hmm. different paradigm and mindset shift because normally we touch our partner the way we think they want to be touched. And we're not very Mm -hmm. conscious about it. But if you actually start touching your partner's body or arm or any part of their body, and you, can, you think about like, oh, I'm going to touch you in a way that feels good to my hand or my body part, and really focusing on your own pleasure and your own sensation, that completely changes the experience for your mm. partner. Because they actually can feel, you basically are creating a pleasure circuit. So they can feel how good it feels to you, and that makes it feel better for them, and it turns them on, and then you feel their turn on, and so you get more turned on, right? And so it just creates this mm. beautiful pleasure circuit um, between, between two people. And this really changes experiences. Um, for, for, for women, especially for women, especially those activities that maybe you didn't like doing, you think about doing it for your own pleasure, you know, how can I make mm, my I life like feel great? Yeah, it's, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really wonderful thing. Um, and then the yeah, last there's thing nothing that's say, a bigger turn in, than watching your partner get turned on, for sure. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Because you okay. feel their the last one? The last yeah. one would be just be, be creative. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. being willing to explore new things, new types of ways to connect, just, you know, go outside of the box, push your edges, do it in a really supportive and loving and fun way. But, you know, get get away from what I call vanilla blurring mm-hmm. sex. It's a lot of women and men abhor, but we put up with it. <laughs> yes, especially in long-term relationships sex can become very vanilla and sort of just to get it over with so you make your partner happy and keep the peace, which is not really what most of us are looking for as we get older and especially if we're single and have choices. Um, These are great tips. Slow everything down, touch your partner for your own pleasure, and be creative. I'm a creative person. I love being creative. All right, so (laughs) the last thing I want to talk about, and we are really short for time, but... Tantra. Um, I had a boyfriend in high school who I was madly in love with for about seven or eight years through from the time I was 16 till I was like, I don't know, my early 20s. And um, he got married later than I did, told me he would never get divorced. He got divorced like a year after I did. And he lived across the country, but he came back and visited me and he had been studying Tantra. And it was the first time I heard about it. He gave me a book, so I know a little bit. But tell our audience mm-hmm. what it is and what role mm-hmm. it plays in sexual awakening. Okay. Um, so Tantra is a very ancient, ancient, ancient practice. It goes back for centuries. Uh, and Tantra is 
you know, I, so, so the definition of Tantra using the Sanskrit term is to weave, to weave. And in Tantra, we are weaving together our physical body, our energetic body, because we're all made of energy, um, our emotional body, and we weave this together with our partner's body and energy and emotions and physicality. And we also connect with some sort of spiritual energy as well, however you define that. So sometimes we talk about Tantra as bringing spirit into the bedroom. So it, it has a very spiritual practice. And we're, what we're trying to do in a Tantric practice is to really connect with our sexual energy, which runs throughout our body. It runs through these seven energy centers, also called chakras. Um, And we all have sexual energy, but by connecting with that sexual energy and then using that to connect with your partner, you create this very, very um, strong physical and energetic relationship with each other. And, you know, people who practice Tantra are able to have um, orgasms without even taking their clothes off, right? You just feel the way in which your energy is actually looping together with each other. And we do this through using principles of breath, so breathing together or actually breathing, um, asynchronized breathing, like one partner breathes in and the other breathes out, We do it by uh, using sound. Sound helps us move energy around our body. And we do it through um, movement, so moving our bodies as well and touch. So it's sound, energy, movement, and touch. That allows us to just have a very deeper connection. You probably had the experience, if you've done some Tantra, that it just feels different. Uh, of the sexual connection feels different because you're actually focused on the energetic piece of it less than on the genital piece of it. And this is actually really great for older couples as well, right? When they have more potential, sometimes they have physical um, limitations or men with erection issues as well. Like you can still feel a lot of energy going through your body and feel turned Mm. on without even having to take your clothes off, if you will. And there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of beautiful tantric practices that really allow you to feel um, a deeper type or more spiritual type of connection. I don't want to say that one type of type of sex is better than another, right? Something, you know, everybody gets, everybody has their own flavor of what works for them. But, um, it's also a it's also a very um, potent way into personal transformation and growth, right? Sexuality itself is one of I think the strongest and fastest doorways to actually transform your life, not just your sex life, but your life as well. And tantra is um, a part of that. We're really focused on moving our energy between our genitals and our heart, right? And so mm-hmm. that creates this beautiful emotional connection um, with a partner. And you can actually do Tantra. I don't know what book you're reading, um, but you can actually do Tantra by yourself. There's lots of solo Tantric practices to do to be able to start to reconnect 
with your own sensuality and your own sexuality. Hmm. I don't remember the name of the book. It's been a couple of <laughs> years, but um, yeah, I, I think I, I love the idea of energy. I think energy is really at the base of how we connect anyway. And I think that people tend to not tune into the energy enough. Like how we feel when we're with somebody matters more than just about anything, um, yeah. in my opinion. You know, and I think people people walk around with these long lists of how somebody has to be and you know and has to fit the external qualities, but it's the energy exchange that lights you up or drains you or fills you up. I mean, it's it's really something you feel. Um. So parting words, this is all so, yeah. so rich, and I, I know that people will benefit so much from listening to this show. Um, what's one message you would like to share with our audience, and in particular for them to be able to go on their last first date? Mm, what, a great, what a great question. Um, I think what I want to say to your audience is, um, to get rid of any expectations that you have and just be really present to the person who is sitting in front of you. You know, forget about your history and problems that you've had in relationships and problems that you've had in sex and just be aware and present stability of that person who is sitting in front of you and enjoy that moment. And don't worry about the future and don't worry about the past. It's a very tantric principle. <laughs> be mm. present. <laughs> It's one of the hardest things, but it is so beautiful when you can do it. So, you know, people who are anxious are worried about the future and and thinking about the past and having all kinds of fears that are not even real. Uh, but when right. you can just get present, it helps you to get centered. It helps you to appreciate the moment. And it's it's great, great advice. So thank you. Thank you so much, Janae, okay. for this wisdom that you thank shared you. today. Um, and mm-hmm. tell our audience how they can find you, how they can buy your new book. Yes, thank you. Um, so I have a website. It's called uh, Power of Pleasure, powerofpleasure.com. And um, you can find me there. I offer all sorts of both one-on-one coaching and online, in person, if you happen to be in the Bay Area, um, and also some group programs for women. And my new book, Living an Orgasmic Life, Heal Yourself and Awaken Your Pleasure, um, which is what we've been talking about, some of the exercises mm-hmm. um, and the stories from the book, you can find either on my website or you can go to Amazon.com. It's called Living an Orgasmic Life, which isn't, isn't that what we all want, Sandy, to live an orgasmic mm-hmm. life? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It's so fun. I love this book. I highly recommend it. I, there, there are great client stories, stories about your own life, which, you know, that's getting rid of that shame story, and exercises throughout, which really makes me happy because I love reading about how to do better and how to, you know, take the steps so that we can improve. Um, I, I had I had lunch with a friend of mine who I did a program with, Saida Desolé. Do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. So Saida was on the show. We did we did a beautiful program together, and she was eating my uh, I had made tahini dressing for the salad that we had, and she was like, "This is orgasmic." <laughs> so, 
You can feel <laughs> orgasmic about the food you eat. You can feel it about anything. Um, so thanks again for coming on the show and for, for doing this beautiful work because it is so necessary in our lives and um, so healing. So thank you, Janae. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having an awesome podcast and helping women and men in middle age, you know, find that last first date. It's beautiful. Uh, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating, a review, subscribe. It helps people find us. And uh, I hope you all go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.